0: Good morning, QVC. As always, it's a privilege and an honor to serve you today in uh, sharing this message. So, um, fasting. So last week, I challenged and dared and invited any of you who wanted to join me in a fast this weekend. So why do we fast? It's like an exclamation point at the end of our prayers and our pleas to God. I'm not only praying with fervor, I'm adding to that fervor a physical effort to demonstrate to God how important this is to me. Now, our prayers don't get answered because of what I do. It's about how God, It's not about how God responds to my prayers. It's more about how I bring my prayers to Him. It's an act of humility before God. He's in control, and I'm just a child coming to my Father with a need or desire. Now, having said this, I am hungry. (laughs) So if I start talking really fast, it's because I want to get through this and get home and have a big lunch. (laughs) But really, actually, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be, and I think it was because that men's breakfast yesterday, Jim, lots of protein, bacon and sausage and beans and eggs, so actually, it's not so bad. So grade six, uh, I had a great teacher. Her name was Mrs. Quigg, and she read stories to us. Remember, she read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and I used to love when she read books because we'd sit there, and I would just let my imagination picture and envision what the story was all about, and there are so many great stories in the Bible, and these stories, some of these stories, like Esther, are really easy to read. They've got a plot, a storyline, conflict, adventure, It all comes out with very little interpretation and explanation. So today, although I'm going to add some commentary, uh, a lot of what I share is going to be directly word for word for the book of Esther. So my prayer this morning is that God blesses this message, the story, that it's clear, it's relevant, and hopefully it's impactful to some of you. So why Esther? Why Esther today? So after spending some time reading through Esther and understanding it more deeply, I woke up one morning and I said to Sandra, I said I'm going to give the message on the book of Esther. And she said, what's Esther about? I said, well, among other things, it's a whole bunch of coincidences. And you know how we always say there are no coincidences in life? Well, that's what it's about. So that morning I go to work, and she sends me this text on that same day. So the, the uh, prayer of the day was from the book of Esther. So that's why Esther today. So I think maybe there are some people here today who... Who are um, who need to hear this story? So, a couple more things before we dive in. So, have you ever wondered about the opposing perspective of believing that God is in control, but that we have free will? If we have free will to make our own decisions, all of us, then how is God in control? So to be honest, that's something I've really struggled with over the years, but the book of Esther has helped me grasp this more clearly, which I hope you're going to see shortly. Then the last thing I'll say, and some of you may know this, that the book of Esther is the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention God. So I said this to Ted two weeks ago when I, said, uh, I was speaking on Esther today, and he said, Well, let me know if you find uh, any mention of God in the book of Esther. So it's, it's not a long book. It's only 10 chapters, but there is no explicit reference or mention of God in the book of Esther. But if you read between the lines, God is there. He's more present in many ways, and you're going to see that. So here goes. So the book of Esther was written between 330 and 460 B.C., And it begins with King Xerxes, and he ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. So today that's from India over to Greece, down to Egypt, 127 provinces. Xerxes was the most powerful man in the world, and this was considered the Persian Empire. So he ruled the Persian Empire. Now Xerxes liked his banquets. He liked parties. So the book begins with a banquet that lasted 180 days for all of the nobles and officials. So when the banquet was over, the king gave another banquet for seven more days for everybody else. So I'm going to read this. It says, the garden, and this was des- describing the uh, the palace, the garden had hangings of white and blue linen. "'Fastened with cords of white linen and purple material "'to silver rings on marble pillars. "'There were couches of gold and silver "'and a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, "'mother of pearl, and other costly stones. "'Wine was served in goblets of gold, "'each one different from the other, "'and the royal wine was abundant "'in keeping with the king's liberality. "'But the king's command... By the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink with no restrictions, for the king instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man what he wished. So it was open bar for seven days. So why do you think the Bible goes into such detail about the decor? Well, I think it's because King Xerxes was proud and he delighted in showing off all of his possessions. So meanwhile... The queen, Queen Vashti, is having a party of her own for all of the other women in the palace. And on the seventh day of the seven-day party, when King Xerxes was high in spirits from the wine, he commanded the eunuchs to bring Esther, uh, sorry, to bring Vashti before him. So why do you think he wanted to bring Queen Vashti before him? So remember, he was showing off, and he wanted to show off his most prized possession. Now, do you think he wanted to show off her brains? Come on in and do math problems? No, scripture says it was in order to display her beauty to the people and the nobles, for she was lovely to look at. But guess what happened? She refused to come. She said, no, I'm busy. So how do you think the king felt about that? Of course, he was furious. He was embarrassed. And he, but he didn't know what to do. So he consults with experts in matters of law and justice. He said, what do I do with her? She won't listen to me. She's having a party. She fixed her hair. I can't do a thing with her. (laughs) So the experts get together, and they say, hmm, we can't have this. If we don't do something, other women are going to think that they can disobey their husbands, and they'll respond the same way. There'll be no end to the disrespect and discord. So Queen Vashti gets fired. They say Vashti is never again to enter the presence of King Xerxes. Also, let the king give her royal position to someone else who is better than she. So now the scene is set. There's a vacancy for the position of queen, and a search begins. It says commissioners are appointed in every province, and remember there's 127 of them, to find a beautiful young woman for the king. So this is going to be like a Miss Meads and Persia pageant and all of the contestants would undergo beauty treatments. Scripture says, Now, there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai. Mordecai had a cousin he had brought up because she was an orphan, and that cousin was Esther. Scripture says Esther was lovely in form and features, and Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her mother and father had died. So Esther was beautiful. So Esther was taken to the king's palace and was basically entered into the beauty contest. She was provided with beauty treatments and special food. She was assigned seven maids, selected from the king's palace, and was moved into the best place in the harem. So Mordecai told Esther not to reveal her nationality, not to say that she was Jewish. And every day Mordecai walked back and forth in front of the courtyard and the harem because he cared about Esther, and he wanted to know what was happening to her. So the girls had to complete 12 months of beauty treatment, six months of oils and myrrh, and six months of perfumes and cosmetics. Extreme makeover on steroids. (laughs) Then they would each have their turn going to the king. Then only if the king was pleased with her would he summon her back by name. Scripture says the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women and she won his favor and approval. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So Esther wins the pageant. Well then, guess what? The king gave a great banquet. Esther's banquet for all the nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality, another party. So now, Esther is queen, and then the story takes a bit of a different perspective. So Mordecai, Esther's cousin, he was sitting at the king's gate one day, and he overheard some officers conspiring to assassinate the king. So Mordecai told Esther. She in turn reported it to the king. The plot was discovered to be true, and the assassins were hanged. So Mordecai was given the credit, and all of this was recorded in the book of the annals of the king. But then another character is introduced. This is the villain, and this is Haman. So after these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. So day after day, the same thing. Then the royal officials told Haman. Haman was enraged that Mordecai would not kneel and pay him honor. But then when he learned that Mordecai's people were the Jews, he didn't just scorn the idea of killing Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people. So he wanted all of the Jews killed throughout the entire kingdom of Xerxes. So let's just take a time out here for a second. This is just as, as an aside, but what's driving Haman's hatred for Mordecai? Well, it's his pride, of course. So let's quote a couple of scripture, a couple uh, quotes from Scripture in Proverbs. I hate pride and arrogance. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. Pride only breeds quarrels. Pride goes before destruction. So be- beware of pride. It's destructive, it's a killer. And Haman is consumed with anger because of his pride. He not only wants to kill Mordecai, he wants to eradicate the entire Jewish population. And pride, as you'll see, ends up being Haman's downfall and the ultimate reason for his demise. So Haman goes to King Xerxes and complains that there are certain people, these Jews, whose customs are different than everyone else's, and they don't obey the king's laws. Now, their customs were different, but he lied. They didn't disobey the king's laws. But then he asks the king to issue a decree to destroy them. And he also suggests he'll put 10,000 talents into the royal treasury for the man who will carry out this business. So that's how badly he wanted to, to kill the Jews. So how much was 10,000 talents back then? I don't know exactly, but here's how significant it was. The annual income of the entire Persian Empire was 15,000 talents. So it was two-thirds of that. So to put that into perspective, the Canadian government's annual revenue was $413 billion, if, I, if Google is right. So that would be $275 billion in today's, in today's terms. And it's speculated that Haman was going to pay that from the plunder he would get from killing the Jews. So then the king gave his signet ring, which meant that he authorized Haman to put the king's seal on it. And he said, keep your money, but go ahead and do with these people what you please. So dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces and the order, with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate the Jews. Young and old, women and children, on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. So you can imagine the state of the Jewish people. The decree had been made and sealed by the king's signet ring. And no one, not even the king, can reverse that decree. So as far as the Jews are concerned, they're as good as dead. And Scripture says, there was great mourning with fasting, weeping and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Now Esther had not heard about the decree, but she heard that Mordecai was in extreme distress. So she sent one of her eunuchs to find out what was troubling Mordecai. So he explained the details To the eunuch, and he gave a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation to show Esther. He then told the eunuch to urge Esther to go to the king's presence and beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. (coughs) But we have to understand the significance of this request. Scripture says, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman, who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the gold scepter to him and spare his life. So Mordecai is asking Esther to risk her life, to go in front of the king without being summoned. And you don't do that. That was a big risk. So that's her report back to Mordecai saying How can you ask me to do this? It would risk my life. So when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house that you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish, and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So this is the signature verse of the book of Esther, and many of you know it. This verse is in essence the answer to my quandary of the opposing perspectives of God being in control and having free will. So many of you heard the message of Esther and that God places us in certain positions at certain times to fulfill his will. Esther was put in her role for such a time as this. But what I want to emphasize is that God was in control. But she had a choice. If not her, someone. God was in control. If Esther said no, do you think God would have let his chosen people be annihilated? Do you think he would allow the lineage of Jesus Christ to be broken? Do you think he would break his promise to Abraham that his descendants would be like the stars of the sky? So although Mordecai was distraught, he knew God was in control. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But now, now Esther has free will to choose because that's the gift God has given us, to choose, and hopefully to choose him. So you want to hear what happens next? Esther tells Mordecai to gather all the Jews who are in Susa and have them fast for three days, and she and her maids would do the same. And after that, she would go to the king, even though it was against the law. And she said, if I perish, I perish. So first of all, here's the fasting. And although the book makes no explicit reference to God, fasting is normally accompanied by prayer. So the omission of of any reference to prayer or God is like the author's intention to heighten the fact that it is indeed God in control. And look at the boldness and fearlessness of this heroine. If I perish, I perish. And not only does she say yes to the challenge, she rallies her people like a good leader. Xerxes thought she married a lamb but he really married a lioness. So Esther makes her first move, and it's like a chess match. So on the third day of the fast, Esther puts on her royal robes. She stood in the inner court in the king's palace, just standing there looking all beautiful. She had not been summoned, but the king noticed her. Scripture says he was pleased with her and held out to her his gold scepter. And he says to her, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. Now, do you think the king was serious? Half the kingdom? So we think there was this kind of king talk for I'll let you hold the remote control tonight. (laughs) But Esther was smart, street smart. So rather than make her petition right there, she said... I'm having a party, and I'd like to invite you and Haman to my party. And we know, we all know how much King Xerxes likes parties. So he summons Haman and said, let's go to Esther's party. And while drinking wine at the party, the king asked again, now what is your petition? It will be given you. And what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Then Esther said, well, tomorrow I'm having another party. You and Haman, come to my party, and I'll answer your question there. So after this, Haman went home. He's in high spirits. He's very happy. But on his way, he sees Mordecai again at the king's gate. And Mordecai didn't rise or show any fear in his presence. Once again, that filled him with rage because of his pride. So while he was home, he pridefully boasted about his success, his vast wealth, and all the ways the king had honored him and elevated him above all the other nobles. And that's not all, he said. I'm the only other person besides the king who's been invited to Esther's party. But he said, all of this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew, Mordecai, sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife and Fred says, well, I have an idea. Why don't you have a gallows built and have Mordecai hanged on it? Then when you go to dinner tomorrow night, you'll be happy. So this suggestion delighted Haman, and he had the gallows built. Okay, so here come all of the coincidences. So that very night, the king couldn't sleep. So he ordered that the book of the Chronicles of the King be read to him. So read me that book about me. And coincidentally, the story that was read recounted how Mordecai had uncovered the assassination attempt and saved the king's life. And the king said, well, what has been done to honor and recognize Mordecai? And the answer, nothing has been done for Mordecai. Coincidentally, just then, Haman enters, and he was about to talk to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows he had built. But when Haman came in, the king preempted Haman's request with a request of his own. He said, What should be done for the king sorry, for the man the king delights to honor? Well Haman thought the king would you know he wants to honor me. So he said, Well, for the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn, and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head, then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So the king says, okay. Mordecai is the man the king delights to honor, and you, Haman, will be the one to lead him through the city. Well, it's all downhill from here for Haman. So Esther has her party, and asks, and the king asks her, again, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom. So she finally makes her request. Spare my people. This is my request, for I and my people have been sold for destruction and slaughter and annihilation. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet, because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked, where is the man who has dared to do such a thing? Esther says, the adversary and enemy is this vile Haman. Literary punch Esther's biting words are a contrast to Haman's sneering characterization of Mordecai, that Jew Mordecai, that vile Haman. So, when Haman realized that his fate had been determined, he began to beg Esther for his life. So, the king had left the palace to go to the garden. When he came back in, he saw Haman falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. Which is another sharp contrast to the fact that he was so angry that Mordecai would not bow before him. He was now bowing before Esther, begging for his life. So the eunuchs covered Haman's face, and one of them said, Hey, there's a gallows that uh, Haman had built right next to his house to hang Mordecai on. And the king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged him on the very gallows that he had built for Mordecai. What a coincidence! So then the king gave Haman's estate to Esther. He took off his signet ring, presented it to Mordecai. Esther asked him to write an order overruling the dispatches to destroy the Jews. But as we know, the king can't cancel his own edict. So instead he granted a new edict, that the Jews in every city had the right to assemble and protect themselves to destroy, kill, and annihilate any armed force of any nationality or province that might attack them and their women and children to plunder the property of their enemies. So there are no coincidences. God is in control. Esther was called. Esther responded to the call. Esther chose to respond to the call. It was her choice. We have free will. We have a choice. God wants us to respond to his call. God wants us to choose to respond to his call. God wants us to choose him. And if we do, We'll get to be part of his plan. We will be an active participant in his plan. We will experience the excitement and the joy of being part of his plan and being in his will. God is calling some of you today. I don't know to what, but he is calling you. You have a choice on how you will respond. He loves you that much that he's given you free will. But, and this is going to sound a little harsh and some of you may not like it. His plan and his kingdom will come with or without you. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need any of us. But he wants us. He he wants us so badly that he gave up his son for us. And he wants us so badly to choose him and to love him back because he first loved us. So choose him. It's no coincidence when God places us At a time and in a place where we're faced with a choice that is the difference between following him or not. And you'll know because it'll seem like a coincidence, but it's not. The Bible doesn't specify how old Esther was, but we can guess that she was a young woman, perhaps even a teenager when she became queen. So today, we're recognizing and celebrating Sophie and Becca, our young adults who are graduating from high school. So this applies to any age group, but your ability to impact God's kingdom is immense. Don't think for a moment, I am just a young person, or I am just a youth You're not a just anything. You've been created and designed with a purpose in mind. So take in today's message as an encouragement that if Esther could have such an important impact on God's kingdom, so can you, if you choose. So please join me in a moment of prayer And we'll hand it over to the worship team. God, I thank you that you love us so much that you've given us free will and that you love us so much that you've given us the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. We are so grateful. God, I pray that you help us discern when you call us. And I pray that you give us the courage and the strength to say yes and to follow you when you call us. God, I thank you for this uh, church and this place and these people here today. Thank you for your love. God, I ask you to bless our day and our week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.